0: All that remains for me to do now is to introduce today's speaker. Bev Murrell is the founder of our network, Skylark International. She and Rick pastored this very church for many years, but they also planted and pioneered churches and ministries. Bev is the most incredible woman. She's not only a gifted communicator, she's somebody who brings challenge. She's somebody who hears from God and doesn't hold back. And this morning we know that as she shares about Jesus the refugee, She's going to bring us a necessary challenge. But we're excited to hear her unpack this next part of the Christmas story and how it impacts our world and how it impacts our worldview for those of us who love and follow Jesus. So we're excited for this message this morning. I will invite you to open your hearts, to open your minds and to be ready for all that Bev has to share. Over to you, Bev.
1: Morning Skylark Church, thank you for inviting me to speak on this very important subject, Jesus the Refugee. It's so easy for us to relate with him in a way that connects with our life. But Jesus coming, his identification with mankind was so much bigger than that. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that more clearly, to see who you actually are in that. Do you know, no other religion in the world can say that their God became human. Stories tell of some gods disguising themselves as human, but only the God who created the universe left his home of inexpressible beauty and love to become a person. Can you imagine God divesting himself of his godness? Becoming completely vulnerable, completely human. You know, a baby at a time when being a baby was very dangerous. Imagine putting aside the wonder of heaven to concentrate on growing in the womb of a girl who didn't have regular checks at the clinic or an epidural or a midwife. Imagine the sheer undignified hard work of being born. We normally only hear the mother's side of birthing. Imagine the cold air hitting your tiny wet body and being wrapped in cloth much rougher than your skin has ever felt? Was it humiliating or comforting to latch onto your mother's breast, taking nourishment in the world that you have devoted yourselves to, not comprehending at that time that it was you who invented the nourishment that is now nourishing you? You know, the baby was born in Bethlehem where they stayed more than a year before they fled to Egypt. Wise men had arrived many months after the birth, and the beautiful guiding star settled over the home that the family had made in Bethlehem. Now, to make this fit into my time, I just want to tell you that the Magi first turned up in Jerusalem, and they're asking directions from everybody as to where the King of the Jews was. And it says that Jerusalem was really disturbed by that, and when Herod heard about it, he was disturbed too. And so he called them to his place, and he asked them about it. And they, before that, he'd asked um, the Pharisees and the scribes what this was all about, and where would that king be born? And uh, they had said they'd showed him the scripture about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And so when the magi rocked up, he said to them. When you find this king, let me know because I want to worship him too. And, you know, not everybody who says they want to worship the king actually really means that. And so that wise men turned up at this home that um, Joseph and Mary had made for themselves over the last number of months and um, they bought gifts. And that was a really powerful and amazing thing. And I I think that... that um, joseph used the money from those gifts for the next few years as a refugee and then i just want to read this part of the scripture because it's really vital Um, matthew chapter 2 and verse 12 and it's worthwhile reading that whole chapter but in verse 12 it's talking about the Magi, magi and it says and having been warned in a dream not to return to herod they withdrew to their country by another route when the magi had gone an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother by night and he withdrew to Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, out of Egypt I've called my son. When Herod saw that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was absolutely filled with rage. Sending orders, he put to death all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under, according to the time that he'd learned from the Magi. Then what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Verse 18, a voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, for they are no more. Now when the angel had said to, to Joseph, flee, that word flee is fuejo, which is where the words fugitive or refugee come from. And imagine that trip, a hundred miles or so on foot with a toddler. And despite what the nativities show, there's nothing in the Bible about Mary having a donkey. Now I've moved countries a couple of times and my kids have too and it's hard to work out when you're doing that what you should take and what you should leave behind. But refugees like Mary and Joseph and Jesus have to go immediately. Whatever household goods they'd gathered in Bethlehem they had to leave behind. Remember Lot's wife, you know, she was a refugee as well but she looked back when they were fleeing Sodom. It's very difficult not to look back. Oh, my lovely house, my new TV. Oh, my allotment. The courgettes are just ready to, to pick. Oh, my neighbours, they're our best friends and, and they and their little boy and my little boy play together all the time. It's hard not to look back. And, you know, it's hard too to know what will happen to those other little boys when Mary and Joseph left because they only knew their son was in danger. They didn't know to warn anybody else. But because of their boy, every other little boy under two in the region was murdered by soldiers at the command of a despotic ruler who was so fearful of losing power that he would do anything, even pretend that he wanted to worship the newborn king. As long as he stayed in his position, he didn't care who or what he destroyed. He didn't care about his own people. And that's a story that's too familiar of too many rulers. Wars begin. People are killed and captured and enslaved. Nations and cultures are impoverished and destroyed because of the pride and greed of those who rule and the fear of those who are ruled by them. And Jesus was almost a victim of that. Had he been killed by Herod, we wouldn't be here now. See, God's warning to Joseph was very real. Jesus was born to die, but timing is everything, and the timing was not then. So if you were woken and told to get your family out immediately, what would you grab apart from your kids? Your phone, the charger, tools? Joseph was a carpenter. If he's like the men in my family, he would have tried to work out what tools he could carry so he could keep earning money to feed the family. Maybe he'd take cash. How much cash do you have in your house? I used to save money in a a plastic bag and hide it under the frozen chicken in the freezer until I could get to the bank. Maybe you've got 20 quid or 100 quid or 500 quid in the house. Make sure you take your bank card as well. But will there be ATMs on the journey? What if your card or your money or your engagement ring were stolen? You see, refugees aren't necessarily poor when they set out. They're trying to save their lives and the lives of their children. They'll lose everything if they stay, but it will cost them everything to go. What if they lose their little boy, the one that they're trying so hard to save, just like Jesus' dad and mum did? This is Alan Curdy, whose mum and dad dressed him so carefully for the dangerous journey that he was to go on. It was the journey that he lost his life. This is him with his big brother, who also died. They don't look like refugees, do they? They look like my kids and yours. Until they are washed up lifeless on a beach because their parents were fleeing to save their life. Jesus didn't wash up on a beach because his parents got him out in time. But all the little boys who stayed behind, the toddlers whose parents had no warning of the evil that rulers of nations will do in their pride and their insecurity and their greed how they use the fear and ambition of those who obey the commands of kings and presidents and prime ministers in every land. Leaders whose insatiable craving for power and glory and riches have driven out of them every awareness of the sufferings of their nation and caused them to be more desperate to keep their position than to care for these peoples. When evil resides in the hearts of rulers, no one is safe we don't call things like selfishness and pride evil when it's in our own hearts. We excuse it. Oh, maybe I'm a bit selfish, but I have to look out for number one. I can't grieve over something that I can't do anything about. When Cain killed Abel, God asked him where his brother was. Cain answered, how should I know? I'm not my brother's keeper. God told him, that his brother's blood cried out from the ground. There's a lot of blood crying out from the ground right now all over the world. See we are all made in the image of God no matter how different we are from each other. When we forget what it is to be our brother's keeper, when grief touches our eyes but not our wallets or our words, when craving for comfort and peace and luxury thwarts our awareness that justice isn't justice if it's not justice for everyone. Our world will continue to be torn by greed and indifference because leaders are just a concentrated version of the people who vote them in. But Christians are called to be different because Jesus is our leader. Our refugee God calls us to weep with those who weep and while we're hold our own little kidlets close to us. He wants us to care about those who can't. The Imago Day, which is the image of God, is imprinted on faces of every color and kind across the world. And that beautiful image is being blown up and starved, washed up lifeless on beaches, held captives in camps, raped, oppressed, abused, rejected. And Jesus came to identify with humanity in our poverty and our brokenness, not in our grasping consumerism or our Instagram status. He's the God who gave up everything in order to identify with those on whom his image is imprinted. And that's every human being, regardless of their nationality or sexuality or race or gender. He's the God who weeps for those who are being destroyed and weeps for the destroyers who are rampaging evil because they've lost every semblance of humanity. And then he weeps for the rest of us, the silent ones, whose desire for comfort has become our primary focus. See, indifference doesn't seem evil. But Martin Luther King Jr. said, there comes a time... When silence is betrayal. Now, I am not saying that God wants people to be poor. I'm saying he wants us to care. He wants us to find out more when we hear something that disturbs us instead of turning away and trying to forget it. He challenges us to maybe own a little less for ourselves so we can give a little more to those who have so much less. He wants us to use our voices to protest and to intercede with our governments and our councils and our friends and our neighbours, rather than call other people who we don't understand and we can't relate with and their religion is different or their lifestyle is different, call them hideous names that show prejudice of those who bear the image of God. He encourages us to cry out rather than change the channel. Because hearing the pain of other people is too painful. A verse that didn't impact me much in my first three decades of Christianity has taken hold of me very powerfully in the last few years and I realise now that these verses explain everything that we need to know about being a Christian and being the church. Matthew, Mark and Luke all contain the story of Jesus coming into the temple and reading from Isaiah. And you'll find that in Luke 4, verses 17 to 21, it says, And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind.'" to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today, what day are you listening to this? Today is the 27th of December 2020 that I'm speaking this. He says today. Today. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, the gospel according to Jesus is summed up in verse 18. It's directed at the poor and the blind and the naked, the hungry, the oppressed, the captive, the brokenhearted, because our refugee God identifies with them, not with celebrity pastors and not with powerful rulers. He's described so well. If you want to know what he looks like, what he is like, Isaiah 53 verse 3 in the New Living Translation says, He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. I used to read that and wonder how people could have done that to him. I understand better now because I understand myself better now. And yet, it's becoming more difficult to ignore the sufferings around us because those sufferings are increasingly affecting us. Because it all hinges together. It's like dominoes, the greed of the rulers and the politicians who want the backing of the large corporations who want to get rich. And so the the politicians help them, are helped to stay in power because they're helping the large corporations. So they give political support to the raping of their own lands for oil and coal and water and diamonds and minerals to power our consumer lifestyles so that we will vote them back in and yet that causes climate crisis so women in the pacific islands can no longer feed their families because the sea salt is killing their crops as their tiny island homes are being swallowed up by seawater rich lands that once yielded good crops In Africa and other nations are now dust bowls and the farmers starve and wars break out as evil forces struggle to possess the riches of the land and people are killed or they die of starvation. And others hear the sounds of war in the night and they grab their kids and they grab their granny and they grab a couple of blankets and they try to get away. Maybe they've got a bit of food with them and they walk like Mary and Joseph did with their toddler for mile upon mile, for days and weeks and months and maybe years. And the blisters on their feet are preferable to walking with bare feet on the hot, stony ground. And we see it now as it happens, if we can bear to watch it. We watch injustice and cruelty and greed. But our refugee God, who knew rejection up close and personal all his life, calls out to us to care. He wants it to matter to us today. He wants this scripture to be fulfilled, not just in our hearing today, but in our actions today. He doesn't want to hear us to to explain why they don't deserve it, because he could have said that to us, to me, any time in the last millennia since humankind walked away from his wisdom. But he's never said it. Amos, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Micah, the Gospel, and James all express God's righteousness as justice. If the church is to emulate Jesus, it will be pursuing justice for the poor and the oppressed. I shudder when I hear people say that God has withdrawn his presence from us because of our sin. He came to us because of our sin. He's the rescue party to save us from our sin and for everybody else's from everybody else's too. No sin is too heinous for for him to heal and to cleanse. No sin will make him turn his back on us. But he cries out to us not to turn our backs either. And I know we can't do everything. We have to stay alive and we've got lives and we've got to go to work and look after our kids and provide a decent home. So we can't do everything. but We can do something. The gospel is about caring. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 15 and 16 talks about the journey of faith that Abraham and Sarah made. Now, they weren't refugees, but they made the journey because they were looking to live in a place that God built. It actually says if they wanted to return, they could have. Verse 16 says, instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. If we want, if I want to live in a heavenly country while I'm here on earth, I need to be like Jesus in the way that I live here. That's a lot more temporary than I might be able to otherwise make it. But then it goes on. It's such a powerful line. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for him. I was thunderstruck when I realized that maybe God could be ashamed to be called my God. And when I realized that I determined to do everything I could to live like Abraham and Sarah searching for the city that God is building and maybe using me to build it. I want to be part of that city. I want my actions to strengthen that city rather than go with the flow of the world the way it is. I don't want to impress the people outside. I don't want to impress you. I want to impress God. You know, we'll still go to heaven even if God is ashamed that people would know he's our God. But I want him to be proud that he's my God. Because we're in a war and it's not a war against people. Our war is whether we will live the way people who don't know the refugee God live or whether we'll live in search of the city that he's building so that whether our homes are poor or rich or comfortable or sparse, we'll be inhabiting his city. I want to finish with the words of a five-year-old Syrian boy who was caught in a bomb blast and died in hospital of internal bleeding. His last words inspired a documentary and this is what they were. I'm gonna tell God about this. I'm gonna tell God everything. He knew that God cares. Jesus didn't turn his back on the sin and the suffering of those created in his image. He doesn't want us to do that either. God, please help us live out your word and live in your city so that you'll be proud to be called our God.